Businesses that fall victim to cybercrime often use the term blindsided. Now, not seeing an attack coming is one thing, and responding to one without maximum visibility compounds your problem significantly. What do you need to make sure you can see what a hacker is doing so that you can stop it? We discuss that next. This is the Cyber 24 Podcast presented by Valcom. Welcome to the Cyber 24 podcast, the weekly pod dedicated to helping businesses and governmental leaders better understand the often intimidating topic of cybersecurity so you can make better decisions for your organization. We also look at interesting cybersecurity stories in the news and help make sense of them and see what lessons you can take from cybersecurity incidents other organizations experience. My name is Marty Carpenter. I work in strategic communication, public affairs, and general problem solving. I'm joined today by our cybersecurity expert panel of one. Richard Rebin from Secuvant. Richard, how you doing? I'm doing very well, Marty. Thanks for having me on today. I always like when we have someone outside of Utah. You know, so much of our, uh, so many of our guests are based here, and so we've got. I'm I'm just north of Salt Lake City, and you are round about the Dayton, Ohio area. I, I, I don't mean to give away your super secret location, but I, I, it's it's kind of cool to have someone in a different state on the show from time to time. Well, it's not a personal secret. I'm uh, glad to be on. You know, Secuvant is based in uh, the Salt Lake area, but, you know, have, being a nationwide organization, there's a number of us who are outside of Salt Lake. So yeah, good to well, be on. We're glad to have you here. And our, our topic this week is part of our ongoing series examining the key elements a business needs uh, to have as part of an incident response plan. Uh, and this is the idea that you need maximum visibility when you find yourself the target of a hacker. So our friends at Sophos have given us this outline that we've been working through for the past several weeks of various elements that are part of a good or at least an adequate incident response plan. Good, I guess, is the next thing we want to shoot for. Let's at least get adequate and we'll go from there. Uh, but our friends at Sophos uh, talk about maximum visibility this way. With Without the proper visibility into what is happening during an attack, your organization will struggle to respond appropriately. Before an attack occurs, IT and security teams should ensure they have the ability to understand the scope and impact of an attack, including determining adversary entry points and points of persistence. Okay, what is proper visibility then? I mean, we're talking about you got to have maximum visibility and proper visibility. I guess we're all talking about sort of the same thing. What, what do we mean by what is it we need to be able to see when an attack is going on? Well, one of the first things you need, you know, hands down, one of the most important CIS controls in the top 20 is making sure you have logging in place. So at a bare minimum, you need to have all assets that are capable of logging, even to themselves, doing so. Now, if we get into the, you know, good, better, best mentality of it, the next step is making sure that you have log centralization, log correlation, things like that. Beyond that, you're talking about making sure that you have log archiving and that your logs are properly secured against tampering. Because as you know, if the bad guys gets in, bad guys get in, one of their favorite things to do is tamper with logs, delete logs, do whatever they can do to cover up their tracks. So the first step there is making sure you have logging enabled. So when you say tamper with a log, to me, I mean, th this sort of works in a, in a coding space and in a, you know, a cyber space, but I start to picture things and, and make sort of metaphors in my head uh, of real world stuff. So to me, when you talk about messing with the logs and covering up their tracks, this is like if someone breaks into a building and they go destroy the security tapes. Is that a, the right way to think about that? 
Yeah, I mean, from a technical standpoint, you know, if you get into a server and you start creating accounts or you start uh, exfiltrating data, one of the things you're going to be doing is try to cover up the tracks that you've made. So, for example, you might delete the logs that have to do with the creation of accounts or delete the logs that have to do with, you know, opening up new sockets on the firewall, whatever it might be. The key there is that the weakness is if your logs only exist on that local device, you don't really have a... A source of truth for what really happened, so you can lose the integrity of those logs. So, so for example, to yeah. use your, you know, to use your analogy of destroying the security tapes, that's the weakness you have there. If you aren't doing any log centralization, um, if somebody gets in and they destroy the 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 security tapes or the logs, you've got nothing. You've got no integrity of what happened on those systems. So how do you keep those logs safe? How do you, is it a backup system uh, saved somewhere in the cloud? And how do you, how do you really make sure that uh, the bad guys, when they get in, can't access wherever those logs are being saved to? I mean, really, once they get in, it's, it's sort of a matter of how well have you firewalled off certain sections that they, they may or may not be able to access, right? Yeah, obviously. So segmentation is part of the solution there and from a, you know, from an architecture and engineering standpoint. But when it comes to logs, the first thing uh, that you want to make sure you're doing is all your perimeter devices, your firewalls, your, uh, you know, network, uh, your routers, switches, things like that, making sure that they are sending their logs to another device. Uh, you also want to be doing the same thing with servers. Now, it's most common to have some sort of SIM in place. Um you know, Alien Vault or, uh, you know, a, a sim like that is a great tool to be, uh, you know, collecting those logs. And on that log collection server, you're going to have alerting. So, for example, if something odd pops up on a box, you're depending on the log correlation server to alert you of that. Not necessarily the box itself, because if that box has been compromised for some reason, you're hoping that that log is going to make it to the logging server, which is then going to alert you of some anomaly. So there are tools available then to to help protect those logs and to give you some some of the visibility that's in there or, or the, this visibility that we're talking about that you need. Are hackers growing or always evolving to be uh, sophisticated enough that they know how to mess with or work around those types of tools? I mean, obviously, you know, attackers are always have the upper hand on us. You know, one of the things that's important to remember when leaders are looking at cybersecurity is the fact that, you know, we in the cybersecurity space, we have limited time, we have limited resources, but the bad guys on the other side, nearly unlimited time, nearly unlimited resources to probe and to test and to, you know, perform network enumeration and things like that. So, you know, we constantly have to be evolving and improving our evaluation of our own systems so that we can you know, hopefully stay one step ahead of the bad guys. Mm -hmm. there's, the, there's the element of sort of keeping them out. And then we're talking about once they're in, and you mentioned something about something alerting you so that you know that, that uh, you know, there's a cybersecurity and so there's a hack underway. Um, yeah. So I, I guess... When we talk about maximum visibility, there's sort of two elements to it, right? Catching someone in the act and then also being able to trace them after the fact or figure out what happened or, hey, they've they've gotten in. Uh, you find out not because you found them in your system, but because you got hit with ransomware. Um, but before you pay that, you want to go be able to figure out how they got in so you don't just write a check and then have them right back into your system right after that. 
Oh yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe my opinion will be unpopular. I don't think it is, but you know, writing a check for a ransomware recovery is probably about the worst thing you can do on a, from a industry standpoint. You know, I've been vocal about the fact that when you pay off, you know, ransomware attacker, you're just making things worse for everybody else. You're simply fueling an industry that seeks to do harm to, you know, to the good in the industry. Um, the other point I want to make there is, Yes, obviously we want to find somebody once they're in. The other thing we need to bear in mind is not think of network design architecture as a hard, crunchy outside and then a soft nougat inside. We need to make sure that we have those protections, not only on the perimeter, but also on the inside of the network. So for example, if somebody does get into your VPN, if they do get in through an RDP vulnerability, how are you going to know it? Are those boxes on the inside being properly monitored and is alerting configured on them? You know, and you can even get into advanced capabilities like canary tokens that will alert you if, you know, somebody's digging around in your systems where they shouldn't be. Is it a canary token because it's the canary in the coal mine? Is that sort of the alert? That's the, the what we're drawing there? Yeah, it's the modern equivalent of it. You know, if somebody's <laughs> digging around your system and you now they see an interesting looking file that says socials.csv, you know, when you access that, that can trigger an alert that will let somebody know that, hey, you know, this file that we specifically put there, knowing that we would never access it, but if somebody was digging around in our systems, they would probably be looking for it. That's a great tool to help identify an attacker. Business is, an abro- is a broad uh, spectrum. Uh, so I understand that as I ask this question, but uh, for most business leaders, for, for the average business leader, would he or she be surprised at how good they are at this already or how bad they are at this? You mean in terms of the bad guy, how good yeah, they are? Well, I would say, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a key point. So when it comes to just making sure that you have these protections in place and you have maximum visibility and that you, can, you have these logs in place, if I'm a business leader listening to this and I think, I don't know, I got an IT team that handles this, uh, is it a better odds that they are going to be surprised by how good they are at this or how bad they are at this? Well, I always get concerned when I hear the the statement, I've got an IT team to take care of that. You know, that points out to me as a, as an assessor and as, you know, kind of a, you know, a partner with organizations that are trying to improve their posture. You know, it kind of makes me concerned that the business leaders aren't properly informed as to what's going on. Um, You know, it's fair to say, hey, we have an IT team that takes care of those things, but that does not relieve the responsibility of senior business leaders to ensure that a properly functioning program is in place to protect the, the data and the, you know, the sensitive information that businesses are entrusted with. Um, So I would say overall, a lot of business leaders don't really realize how far behind they already are and how much they need, how much room they need to make up in terms of getting where they really need to be just to have the basics taken care of. The time to take a break, but first a reminder that Cyber24 is presented each week by our friends at Valcom. Valcom is a Utah-based IT solutions and services provider with the drive for getting IT right. From ironclad security to computing and beyond, Valcom's 35 plus years means they have the experience and the expertise to help your business from desktop to data center. We're back with more on the Cyber24 podcast presented by Valcom right after this. Do you ever wonder what you would do with $12 billion? 
Well, that's the amount of money that business email compromising has cost businesses in just the last five years. Barracuda Sentinel detects threats that traditional email security systems can't. It integrates directly with Microsoft Office 365 APIs to detect attacks coming from both internal and external sources. It uses artificial intelligence to detect signs of malicious intent and deception within every email with virtually no IT administration required. Check out vlcmtech.com slash barracuda-sentinel to find out how you can save your company from a hacker's $12 billion business. That's vlcmtech.com slash barracuda-sentinel, B-A-R-R-A-C-U-D-A hyphen S-E-N-T-I-N-E-L for more information. Check it out today. While many of us give our office printers human names like Becky, George, or Linda, did you ever imagine that your printer could self-heal like a human? HP Enterprise Printer can detect and self-heal from malware, and because they have the industry's only upgradable firmware, new security features can be added over time. HP printers allow you to set, configure, and automatically maintain over 200 printer security settings with their Jet Advantage Security Manager. Valcom is proud to partner with recognized de facto industry standard for printing. Secure your printers now at vlcmtech.com slash print dash copy. That's vlcmtech.com slash print dash copy. All right, welcome back to the Cyber24 podcast presented by Valcom. Richard Rebin from uh, Secuvant is our guest, joining us from Ohio, as we mentioned in the first segment, and uh, continuing our discussion on the importance of maximum visibility. And we talked a lot about the importance of data logs in that first segment. So, um, you know, I, I guess my question would be to start us off in this segment uh, how long should a company keep these logs? And do most companies follow the guideline that you're going to give us? Well, so the the bad news is there is no firm guideline that applies to all organizations. There's also no firm guideline that applies to different types of logs, whether it's a web server or a firewall or, or something else like that. Uh, what the organization needs to do is it needs to take into account what industry does it operate in? What type of data is present in the environment? And are there any regulatory requirements around that data, whether it's privacy, confidentiality, whatever it might be? You know, a good rule of thumb that I generally share with my clients is you should have 90 days worth of logs immediately available in some sort of log correlation, log collection sim. Uh, You should have up to, or at least one year of logs you know, available without too much trouble. So for example, we're talking about the ability to recover those within, you know, minutes or hours at most, just in case you need to go back and look at something a little bit further back. Uh, Beyond that, you should really take into account what type of transactions you are doing as an organization. For example, in some uh, regulated industries like finance, uh, real estate, insurance, things like that, you may need to keep them for a longer period of time, but that's something that's dependent on the organization and you should reach out to uh, a trusted partner to help provide you some guidance on that. So what reason would a company have for discarding logs, like for getting rid of them? Uh, Do they eat up so much storage space? Like uh, it, it just seems to me that if you can go buy an external drive, that's got a terabyte on it for 150 bucks, I don't know how much space a log takes up, but my guess is if it's something that's potentially that important to you, you could find a way to keep it, even if it's not 
like you say, so readily accessible. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there are plenty of reasons to get rid of logs. First of all, you know, from a data classification standpoint, as an organization, if you do not need the data, if you've taken the proper, you know, precautions to make sure that you have a reasonable amount of logs in place to aid in the event of any sort of forensic investigation, you don't need to keep those logs. Uh, you know, things like e-discovery and legal, you know, obligations might come into play. Again, depends on the organization, depends on the industry. But, you know, logs in their native format, uncompressed, do actually take up a lot of room. Uh, the good news is that storage space is dirt cheap and it's only getting cheaper. Uh, a lot of this stuff is cloud-based. Uh, so organizations are not having to invest in, you know, massive resources internal to their data center within their environment. Uh, but the good news is once you start archiving those logs, they really don't take up very much space. So it's very common to see organizations have 90 days of logs live in their SIM platform up to a year uh, archived in some manner, generally zipped up and put in a secured S3 bucket or secured cloud storage or something like that. Uh, and then beyond that, you may even put those archive logs on an annual basis into some sort of long-term storage, either in the cloud or on-premise. Again, what it about, just depends on what about uh, the requirements storage? of the organization. What about offsite storage? Is that is are these the type of things that are worth like hey let's let's save them and then let's take them offsite so that yeah that might take us a little while to get to but we've got them if we need them. Yeah, I mean that's a great point as well. Having offsite logs isn't a bad idea from a forensic standpoint, especially in the era of ransomware, uh, because if your log correlation platform uh, is compromised for some reason, you'll lose those logs. So it's good to have offsite logs. Even better to have offsite disconnected backups to prevent against uh, you know the damages of ransomware. Or at least it's, the data loss aspect of ransomware. Yeah, I hadn't really thought through the aspect that you brought up of that. There's maybe some liability reasons to not keep a log uh, for a certain amount of time. Because in my mind, it's like it's it's sort of not that hard to keep them and very difficult to recreate them, or impossible to recreate them once you've thrown them away. You know, well, like you say, where storage is so cheap, I would have defaulted to the idea of, hey, just keep everything. But it's, it's interesting, and I, I imagine that you mentioned regulation as well, that there are some regulations depending on the type of data that you're keeping, not just how long you should keep it or have to keep it, but uh, at what point it's no longer uh, legally advisable for you to keep it. Yeah, and that, the key there is it's that, you know, just keep everything mentality. Generally, when we see that, again, putting on the shoes of an assessor. Generally, when I see the keep everything mentality, we start seeing that throughout the organization, where it's like, oh, let's keep old systems up and running. Let's keep all this old data sitting around. We don't implement proper data retention procedures. We don't implement uh, proper data purging procedures. So not only are you creating this massive beast, but then it's also when you actually have to tackle it and say, oh, we really actually need to clean this stuff up and get rid of some of this data that we are liable for because we have it, but we don't need it to conduct our business. That's always an area of concern. Yeah. Business leaders are always looking at the bottom line and trying to make sure that things uh, are done appropriately according to that metric. So how does this particular aspect, whether it's maximum maximizing visibility or just overall in an incident response, play into uh, what ultimately the cost is if you have some type of cybersecurity breach? There's two 
key items that I really harp on when it comes to, you know, an organization doing its basic due diligence to hopefully mitigate the impact of a breach. Now, the the IBM cost of data breach report uh, from this year went into all the factors that make up, you know, what amplifies the impact of a breach, what reduces the impact of a breach. And what's really interesting is that in their assessment, they determined that the average total cost of a data breach is $3.86 million. But organizations that implement incident response testing and business continuity testing are able to mitigate the potential cost of a breach by over half a million dollars. And what blows my mind there is not the number, although it's a huge number. What's really interesting to focus on there is generally the simplicity of doing those things. You're not talking about implementing major systems. You're not talking about making major changes to the infrastructure. You're talking about doing some basic due diligence where you're saying, hey, what are the assets that we have? How do we need to protect them? And logging is just a great example of a way to facilitate incident response testing and also business continuity uh, in a situation where you have some sort of cyber attack. So the big takeaway from today's discussion for business leaders trying to just narrow in on it when it comes to maximum visibility, what's the advice you want to give? So the advice I'll give today you know, ties back to a breach that we recently heard about, and that's the Prey.com breach. Um, Business leaders should look it up if they haven't heard of it. What's interesting about that breach wasn't necessarily the size of the breach, but what was really interesting was the scope of the data that was involved in the breach. Some data was placed uh, in an an unprotected cloud resource. And what we found as a result of that breach is not only usernames, things like that, but then your entire contact list from your phone was being harvested by the application. So why does that tie in here? It goes back to what I was saying. If you don't need the data, don't keep it. And if you are keeping data, make sure you're being very clear with your user population or with business partners about what you're doing with that data. Yeah. Good advice. Good advice. Hey, uh, we always wrap up the show, at least lately, we wrap up the show with uh, a weekly moment to take uh, a look at uh, what's cool this week. And we just share anything, could be cybersecurity related or not, something that strikes us cool that we want to share with the audience. So as we uh, put a come to a conclusion on this week's show, I will ask you, Richard, what's cool this week? So this week, I want to give a shout out to my friend, Michael O'Brien. He has written a book called My Last Bad Day Shift. It's a um, you know story of him overcoming a bad moment and preventing that from turning into a number of bad days for him. Uh, he coins the phrase, pause, breathe, and reflect. And I think one of the things that we've definitely learned during this pandemic era, in this pandemic era is that we can all do a little bit more of pause, breathe, and reflect. So that's my bit. Just make sure that on the breathe part, you're six feet away from people, unless you're outdoors and wearing a mask and so on. Uh, very cool. Well, is, and, that, and that's available on Amazon. Was that something we can go find? The audience can go look for? Yeah, you can uh, look them up on Amazon. Look up Michael O'Brien on LinkedIn. You can also go to michaelobrienshift.com to learn more about it. Very cool. Uh, all right. My what's cool this week, I will just say this uh, as a, uh, I don't know, I guess right now I would say amateur video editor, uh, Final Cut Pro. 
I, I, it's a program I've used for a long time, but mostly just as a guy who hacks around in it and has a basic understanding of it. Uh, I took a, uh, kind of a refresher course on Skillshare and found that I actually do know how to run it pretty darn well, but still found uh, a few fun little tricks that I could learn. And so, uh, I use it for things that most people don't use it for. I uh, edit this podcast in Final Cut, which most people would use some other audio-based program. It just makes sense to me to use Final Cut because that's the one I know. So look, I think it's cool that what I used to have to do as a as a what I call a sportscaster emeritus, of you know, a former TV reporter, I used to have to carry around tapes and this giant, even as a mobile one, this giant briefcase that had two tape decks in it that you could edit on. And now I can do the whole thing from my 13 inch Mac and by the way, do it way fancier. So whether it's editing this podcast or any other video project, uh, I'll tell you what's cool. Final Cut Pro is pretty darn cool to be able to edit video uh, and do it in such a fancy way that we can these days. So do you ever use it? Have you ever much of a video editor guy or ever use the program at all? No? Nope. I'm an I'm a uh, audacity guy. Ah, okay. Audio. So you, audio. Now, I the audience can't see this, and I don't mean to snoop, but there appears to be a bass guitar over your shoulder. Are you the bass player? So not a bass guitar. Those are actually a set of ukuleles. Oh, is it? Okay. Uh, I don't. I don't. Play I don't have ukulele. a. I don't I really... have an understanding of how far back that is. So from here, <laughs> from where I'm looking at, it looks like well, if that's if that's 15 feet back, it looks like a bass guitar. But I I can see ukulele. All right, I'll, I'll go for that. Yeah. So when my kids come out and visit me, uh, you know, they play the ukulele. My wife plays the ukulele, but otherwise they're just for decoration as a backdrop. Well, the backdrop looks pretty cool. Didn't mean to pry into what's hanging on the wall behind you, but there you go. Uh, It's all good. We all have our home offices, right? That's right. And you get to see exactly what is actually sitting on the ground or sitting on the shelf behind everybody. And that's how we get to know each other and stay connected in some way since we're all living on zoom or whatever platform you happen to use. Uh, Richard Rebin from Secuvant and coming to us from Ohio today. Thanks so much for your time and sharing your expertise. We really appreciate it. Okay, thanks, Marty. As we wrap up for this episode, I want to thank our sponsors at Valcom. At Valcom, you get much more than a dedicated IT retailer. They become an extension of your IT team. Whether you're a startup or an enterprise, Valcom has the technical sales and engineering expertise to make your business more effective and more productive. Check them out at vlcmtech.com to learn more about Valcom's end-to-end solutions, the technology vendors they partner with, and so much more. That's vlcmtech.com. I also want to thank our supporting partners, the Utah Department of Technology Services, the Kempsey Gardner Policy Institute at the University of Utah. Of course, our friends at Secuvant, that's that's Richard, and the Utah Attorney General's Office and the Utah Department of Public Safety. A reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at Cyber24 underscore, or you can follow us on Facebook. Hey, hit us up in either place to let us know what you think, or if you have a topic you'd like us to discuss on a future episode, you can, of course, also rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, five stars only, please. All right. Thanks, everyone. And have a great week. Stay safe online.